0: Ramal Toon, three time author, right? The author of I Wish My Dad Conversations Between Fathers and Sons. What's your revolution?
1: If it's gonna be a revolution, it's gotta be revolutionary, right? Yeah, my revolution is to become the best iteration of myself that I can possibly become in my lifetime. And that is answering the question of who I am who am I without my trauma? Can I have your attention for a moment? What's good, revolution? revolution.
0: Welcome to the What's a Revolution show. A show for men and the people who love them. Where we discuss how men can find and embrace the revolution within themselves. Where people can find and embrace the revolution within themselves. I am your host, Dr. Charles Corporal good revolutionaries <laughs> uh, i'm a little upset right it's october here in virginia you know how much i talked about summer and loving i'm a water baby i want to be outside with my people and community as we talk about so much um, but somehow it got cold and, and 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 you know as they used to say on game of thrones winter is coming and uh, my like like my tan is going and all of the things and so I, i'm trying to wrestle what a new season of life looks like um, as you know, revolutionaries, I have, you know, been, uh, as I call it, on hiatus, on sabbatical. That's the better word. I left my beloved camelback on June 30th and thought that I was going to be able to rest. And, you know, if you heard the show with Reggie Hammond, we talked about how rest is revolutionary and thinking about what it looks like to slow your mind and your body down, right? The rested folks are the, actually the most curated folks. And I thought I was going to get that time to right, Uh, imbibe the world, imbibe the ocean, imbibe the sun, but uh, as I talk about transition, right, transition of seasons, uh, July 5th, my father went into the hospital, uh, got COVID and had a UTI, and so I spent two months caring for him and his well-being, and uh, on September 16th, my father transitioned. Um, His light was, his, his physical light here was extinguished, but his, his, his spiritual light and his metaphysical presence is still with me. And I want to give um, a shout out to my father. As you know, if you've listened to this show, and I know you have revolutionaries time and time again, I've talked about Charles S. Corporeal Jr. and the impact that he has had, not only on my life, but on countless lives, countless students and families and, uh, you know, soldiers and revolutionaries and activists, all the things Charles S. Corporeal Jr. seated in me, not only my name, but life, right? He imp- he poured into me, and I am grateful. The saddest day of my life was, you know, September sixteenth. The, the ability not to have a conversation with him anymore, not to have a physical conversation with him. I still talk to him every day. We still laugh, and uh, as we do, um, but I ask you all to think about the importance of fathers in your life, right? Even if your father is not there, right? or, or the father figures in your life, hold on to them. Talk to them right? Show them that you love them, right? And if you have relationships that are broken, I ask, I ask you somehow to figure them out. Because as my guest will show you today, right, this 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 juggernaut of an author and mental health advocate, right, will tell you that when we do not have good relationships with our fathers, when we have regrets, when we wish that our fathers had done same th- things, and we did not take the 100% responsibility to say those things, we're going to work through those things differently in life. Right. And so I want to welcome, I want to welcome this, this brother, right. This, this, this brother, Um, Ramal Toon, author, two-time author, three-time author now, Uh, three, three three-time author, mental health advocate. I'll let you, I always let let people tell their own story because I may tell the story a little bit differently than they would like, but I know, uh, I know what this show is going to be. Right? I want I know what this show is going to be and so Ramal, I thank you I thank you for allowing me to be in this season with you. as I said in the green room, it is serendipitous that we have this time together, right uh, as I transition this season without my patriarch, without my without my rudder, without my warrior, it is often how the universe is places folks in front of you. So thank you so much for the work that you do and how are you right? How are you?
1: Man, I'm good. Charles, thank you, one, for having me on the show. I just want to take a minute to honor your dad, too, uh, and honor and express my gratitude for what he's poured into you. I Mm -hmm. think in many ways, we are a reflection of the leaders that shape us. And so um, I express my gratitude for him, for what he's poured into you, and how you uh, carry on the legacy, brother. Um, But it is Mm -hmm. good to be here, and, and I am well.
0: Wonderful, wonderful, Revolutionists, You'll get to see those who get to see the visual, the visual podcast. You see the beautiful painting behind here, the the infectious and the infectious smile that this brother's got going on. As I said, three time author, you know, and and that's an interesting thing. Before I even get into our signature question today, right? It takes courage to 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 write to to put our thoughts down to pen and paper, right? And then to make impact. I want to just jump in really, really quickly with you, Ramal, to think about. You know, for my budding authors out there you know what does it take not only to be a one or two time but three time author right three times and, and, and three time and we're hoping that this this one is a bestseller a, a, as well but what yeah. does it go in to take the courage to write and publish particularly in this space and time in the world
1: <laughs> man what does it take to uh, have the courage to write i would say One, it does require courage. Um, It requires a lot of discipline, um, a lot of support. You gotta have a team of people who are there to ride with you through the process, to encourage you, um, patience. And um, I find as an author um, in my style of writing, a lot of uh, inspirational nonfiction, um, a lot of therapy and uh, Um. personal introspection. Um, is necessary, and definitely, you know, all of that requires a little grace. You got to be offer yourself grace and be patient. Yeah, no doubt, grace and patience, right?
0: That that is the thing I think that we must all give ourselves when we are actually fulfilling our revolution, right? As you think about this, uh, as an author, uh, you think about God's graffiti, yeah. as you talk about right um, your second book and, and and the patience, right, and vulnerability it takes to put those words down and then hoping right hoping that folks are going to actually imbibe the things that you want to get them to right the, the themes and concepts that will actually make their lives better particularly in the spirituality context and this you know vulnerable conversations with god right and in, and in, in thinking through that and i'm anxious to actually when you know the opportunity to sit down and read that but like you said the patience right oftentimes authors as they're writing their first or second books right you can get you can get fast and furious i need to get this out but good writers like yourself think about you know the patience of what needs to be said at the right time right yeah. to really draw draw your readers in right to the subject matter that they need at the right time and so I applaud you for saying saying that, that the vulnerability, the courage and the patience that it needs, that is needed to actually write, to actually write something that is poignant as you've done. I want to ask you our signature question, right? And people love to hear these answers, you know, but Ramal Toon, three-time author, right? The author of I Wish My Dad, right? Conversations between fathers and sons. What's your revolution?
1: Uh, My revolution is to become the best iteration of myself that I can possibly Mm -hmm. become in my lifetime. And that is answering the question of who I'm, who am I without my trauma?
0: Wait, (laughs) brother, like you don't have to punch me that hard so quickly on this show, right?
1: (laughs) If if it's going to be a revolution, it's got to be revolutionary, right? Man, man, revolutionaries. Did you, did you hear that?
0: Right. You've, you've heard You've heard 141 answers to this question, right? 141 answers. And I need to reiterate that, right? What is the version of me without my trauma? (laughs) Unpack that, right? That could be the show right there. But uh, uh, unpack that because it is a beautiful, beautiful answer. My God, Ramal, what does it look like to be the version of yourself without your trauma? Oh, please, please. I'm going to sit back and listen.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, when I think about becoming the best iteration of myself that I could possibly become in my lifetime to finish this story and be able to look at my journey, look at my truth and how I lived out my life and say, I I did the best I could. And I finished on empty. Um, In order to do that well, I got to look at what um, what are the narratives that have shaped my life or, you know, am I living as a character trapped in somebody else's play with, you know, my the trauma of my life you know orchestrating my life the the challenges of my childhood my mom and her battle with addiction and depression my uncles and the things that they taught me about survival in the hood um you know the panhandling as a kid because i didn't have money the hustling in order to get money um the verbal abuse uh that i experienced you know from people who thought they were trying to teach me to toughen up and be strong with these survival skills not realizing that they didn't have the tools to teach me what was needed in order to thrive. They were teaching me how to survive because their assumption was that if this is where you're going to live, there are certain skill sets you need to have. And we've decided based on our life experiences that these are the things we're going to teach you in order for you to survive. Um, however, as, as life would have it, I chose thriving and the skills that I took with me on my journey to design a life of thriving were skills that were only needed to survive. And so Mm -hmm. I was constantly um, making mistakes, um, even when new opportunities were presented because I was taking survival skills into thriving environments and um, unbeknownst to myself. Um, So if I look at my story and, except the fact that um, there were the economic challenges, there were the dynamics of the trauma of living in poverty, there was the trauma and dynamics of being a black male in the inner city, um, drugs and violence around me, a mom with addiction and the verbal abuse, and watching the harm she did to her own life. <clears throat> and even before she was an addict, <clears throat> how she was thriving, and then became an addict after she was successful. And then we lost everything, and so now, as an adult, <clears throat> I I realized through therapy that I was carrying a lot of anxiety, a lot of PTSD, um, a lot of self doubt, you know, self esteem issues, um, defining my life based on the fear that one thing, one day, things will go wrong. Because most examples I saw from adults in my life, eventually things went wrong, and so I internalized that belief that I was always the anticipation of the next shoe that's going to drop. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Right. So, and th- that's a constant anxiety in, in my body. And so in going to therapy and revisiting those narratives that have shaped me, um, I had to detach who I truly am from those experiences. They are a part of my life, but they don't have the right to shape the entirety of my life. And so who am I without my trauma? Is it, is a journey of shedding those fears, anxieties, and doubts. Um, carrying the lessons and the wisdom as tools to keep my eyes open for opportunities to help other people like me overcome as well—not just overcome the environment and the circumstances, but overcome the um, the emotional aspects of it and the mental aspects of it—to um, to find ways to surrender that pain, um, you know, as a person of faith. Um, one of my favorite scriptures is Isaiah 61:3 God will give you beauty for ashes and knowing that that's an exchange to surrender that those ashes to receive beauty. And so this who am I without my trauma is really about a journey of surrender. Um, surrendering the ashes in my life in order to receive the beauty that was always destined to be mine and and allowing myself to be courageous enough uh, to let that beauty and that love in. Um, and humble enough, and vulnerable enough to let go of the things that don't serve me well.
0: Man, who um, you so talking about? Yeah, yeah, brother, brother. I I definitely appreciate that because we talk so much on this on on this show about right the first tenet of revolution, right? Personal revolution is revolting and evolving into the person that you want to be, right? But you have to have an idea, right, of what that what that evolution down the road is going to look like. And if you don't, right, and you're thinking about I want to be the, the iteration of me right is the person that thrives without my trauma right and so i've got to revolt i've got to shed right I've, I've got to shed right the the trauma and 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 the survival behaviors that go along with this but what i want to pull out of this for a, a second ramal is that you talked about bringing survival tactics into thriving tactics right and so Folks want to hear about what does that look like? Because they may not know what a survival, they may think, well, this is a thriving tactic, but it's actually a survival tactic. Can you give me an example of where you brought a survival tactic into a thriving environment and how you know, how you realize, oh, I'm just, this is surviving and it's actually disallowing me to thrive.
1: Yeah. I think one of the key, one of the big survival tactics that I took with me into my professional life was always showing up defensive, always Mm -hmm. um, guarded and um, intentionally walking into any room feeling unsafe, right? Mm -hmm. Unsafe that to the extent that people uh, the assumption that people are going to take advantage of you, the the assumption that every person is a potential threat, um, you know, stay guarded, stay on, um, stay very measured in your words um, because, uh, you know, people can't be trusted. Um, that that all of those ideas um, do not lead to being a person who is thriving. Um, yes. They, they yes. keep you... Um, they put you in a place, oh, I found that they, let me speak about this personally. They put me in a place of not only not letting people see me, but also not allowing myself to be fully seen. Right, right.
0: Brother, you, you know, you, you think about what, what happened 10 minutes ago, right? When we were having that conversation, right? The early, early conversation, right? And you're making me think about how this world, this world, right? As a black man, right? We got two, two very, very successful black men talking to each other. And I I told you about a conversation that I was having with a, a, a white sister, right? And, yeah, right. This, this defense mechanism that the wor- that I have, and I, uh, again, I, and I love these uh, the personalization because not everybody feels the way that I do, but I've yeah. put up these defense mechanisms, right? When when you when you research, you know, as I've had uh, you know black male experiences in this world, racial identity, right, racial oppression, you imbibe all of these things. I well, I've imbibed all of these things, and now I'm showing up very defensive, right? Like I said, you're racist, you know, in my mind, you're racist until you show me that you're not, right? Because I need to, in my feeling, is that I need to be armed for this racism that you may spout or, or or enact or whatever, and so I'm prepared. But like I said, I'm walking into these situations very, very defensive, right? And I'm not allowing myself to actually have relationships with folks initially because I'm thinking like, well, okay, you're going to be racist, and so maybe we're not. This is not the the environment. But really the story is, let me go back, right? And think about how many racist experiences have I really had with folks, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and really, you know, as a researcher, well, let me, really, let me really do the data and do the due diligence on the story that I have. And that takes time, right? Not everybody's willing to actually take the time to go validate stories. And I talk about that all the time. It's like, okay, I've created this story. Now I need to go validate this story. But that means you have, you can't use the heuristic that our mind is, the mind is is easily. We've actually got to go and do the algorithm. We've got to do the long work to really validate stories, which is the hard work, right? I I see you you want to say something. Go ahead.
1: Man, I I had several thoughts. Uh, One, uh, you mentioned the language of we have to revolt. And I remember someone telling me uh, years ago, when you don't love all of who you are, the parts of you that you don't love will cause a revolt, um, mm. and in essence, what I've what I've learned about that as it relates to my journey is that there were parts of me that I didn't love, parts of my story, um, parts of my identity, like my you know my childhood. That would show up in my adult life. And because I wasn't willing to love the parts of me that made mistakes, the parts of me Mm -hmm. that were, you know, ashamed of the fact that I was walking down the street in junior high school asking people for money, really, elementary school, um, not loving that kid um and almost being ashamed of him like I felt society was ashamed of him um that part of me would revolt in my adult life um and that that revolt looks like um anxiety fear um things aren't going to go well um but the freedom the revolution of loving that kid um was one of the um lessons or processes I learned from a therapist she said, for a while i want you every day when you get up in the morning to look at the, look in the mirror and say to yourself you're okay i'll take care of you and i love you mm. and you're okay i'll take care of you and i love you and she said in essence i want you to speak to that wounded child in within you and affirm that you're okay you know you're taking care of yourself and you love yourself um so that that anxiety and that fear of what's going to happen next is calmed um, by the fact that you have agency and authority now. Mm, Um, So that's a part of the revolution. You know, when you were talking about the story with that woman, uh, one of the things that I think we run the risk of doing sometimes is conceding power over how we show up. Mm. And what I mean by that is if we walk into a room of people with a set of assumptions, and then we let those assumptions dictate our behavior, we have conceded power to the extent that those beliefs about the people that we have yet to interact with have now determined how how we choose to show up and not fully show up fully present. Um, And so what I found is that... uh, And every interaction, I center myself on my six-word sentence. And these six words are how I want to be remembered in the world. And they are simply, he helps people heal their stories. Mm. He helps people heal their stories. Now, when I walk in a room and I know that that's how I want to be remembered, um, no matter what the interaction is, I have power over my story. So no matter what they do, they can't throw me off my square because they don't have control over how I choose to show up and how right. I choose to be remembered. Yeah.
0: He helps me heal my stories. Right. That's the, st- that's the narrative that you have in mind that people will remember Ramal tomb like this. Right. You know, and what I have done is placed myself in a box. Right. And, I'm fighting. I have been fighting trying to get out of the box, right? That I placed in, right? Because I think that that's the box that society had placed in, right? I got to dress in the blazer. I've got to make sure that people call me Dr. Corporal, all the different things, mm-hmm. but at the end of the day, right? I I am as my father would call me, I'm just Chucky, who just wants to have hey, a good have time me. and there laugh you, and 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 to love, right? To love everyone, right? To be infectious. Right to just right bring folks together. Right, like you said, if I if I want my narrative, if I want my narrative in my mind to be, is like, like you said, he heals. Right, he heals people's story. My, I was like, he brings people together. Yeah, that's yeah, right, exactly. That that's the that's the revolt right there, and the evolution is that he brings people together. Right. That, right. That's what I want people to understand. He brings people together. So thank you for seeding that to make sure that I, I don't place these bears, those, these lifelong bears that I've placed in myself because I've been the only in certain rooms, in a lot of rooms, I'm sure that you have. And you wonder, Bear. well, you know, I'm the only black male professor in the college, right? I'm the only, look, I'm, I'm the only black male to be coaching all of the, the baseball teams in the area. I'm, I, I'm the only. And all of a sudden, like, why are all these odds on me? Am I good enough? All the things. At the end of the day, I brought this team together, of kids that really loved each other, and I loved on them. That's the story. that 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 was the ultimate story.
1: That's it, right there. Focus on the
0: intention.
1: Mm -hmm. Right. Focus on the intention because there's power in the intention. And you're Chucky and Doctor, right? Yeah, yeah, okay. You're you're all of these things, and you know, I think life gives us opportunities where we we have to show up in one aspect of who we are um, for certain reasons, but we have to know why. Um, Our why is very important. You know, when I look at uh, the guys in this book, I Wish My Dad, you know, when you understand why you're acting the way you're acting and what stories have shaped that, um, you then have power over um, how you choose to show up in in a given opportunity, be it with your children or with a spouse or with friends or in a professional setting.
0: Brother, and, and I'm glad that we're able to, 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 to move into this riveting book, right, and as we think about this. Ramal is, like I said, Ramal is a three-time author, and his latest book, I, I Wish My Dad, right, written with your son, right? The interesting thing, written, written with your son about these these conversations with fathers and sons. And as I said at the top of the show, my patriarch is gone. Um, his, his physical spirit is gone. And, and, you know, when we when we got on the phone call on Sunday— uh, it, it was very, very interesting because I began to think about like what What is this question like? Right? I know the simplest thing, as I said earlier, is that I wish that my dad was here. Right? But I spent fifty one years with this man. Right? Good, bad, ugly, indifferent, all of the things. You know. And, and the one thing that I can say is that my father was an amazing father. Right? He was an amazing father, and uh, I, I tell this story of how he was so happy. He, he actually sacrificed his doctoral studies so he could be with his precocious son who wanted to spend time. I was a daddy's boy, right? I wanted to be with my father all the time as a child. And so my mother, I tell this story, my mother said, look, I can't handle him. Right. He, he's a lot. He's a lot. I've been a lot. Uh, I've been a lot of my life. Right. If you know me personally, you know, I'm a lot. Um, but my mom was like, look, I need some help. And he wants to spend time with, he wants to spend more time with you than he is with me. And so, um, he sacrificed that. He sacrificed his, his doctoral study, so he was ABD. And I remember getting accepted to Tulane, and him being extremely excited. Right, he, and he never pressed on me. I want you to go be Doctor Corporal, but him being extremely excited. And I wanted to say this in his eulogy, so for, for, forgive me for you know being a little lengthy with this. But I remember driving down to to New Orleans from all and, and and my father whistled for fourteen hours, like literally <laughs> whistled, right. I mean, look at my face. Like he 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 whistled, Ramal um, for 14 hours. And I was like, I I I finally pulled my pulled, you know, the, the earphones out. And I was like, please stop whistling. He was like, I'm not gonna stop whistling. This is he's like, you drive like a bat out of hell. Like I'm <laughs> gonna whistling because it calms me. This is this is my nervous. I mean, I could not, right? He whistled. The, the irony of that now, Ramal, is I whistle all the time. All the time. Everywhere I go, I, I whistle. I whistle. I, I take it. But uh-huh. the, the 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 end of this story is that I uh, I was flipping through the photos of my graduation. I, and this was like a couple of months later. And this is when you, this is when, you know people actually printed out fo- photos. Yeah. And I was flipping through. And, and the last photo is my father in my regalia. And I didn't know it was there, right? My mom hadn't said, they never told me that he took the picture. Wow. And I literally lost it because I knew that my father had you know, given up and sacrificed so much, right? And for for 40 years, he had poured into it his son, right? No matter what I needed, whether it was a car or uh, undergraduate school or the motivation to tell me I'm not going to pay for graduate school, you know, all, all the things or getting me into my first house or getting, you know, helping me finance the second house or whatever it was, he was there. And so in that moment, I was like, wow, Here's the sacrifice that he made and him putting on the regalia was just a testament. Like, okay, my job, my job here is done. Right. And I'm, I'm just as much a Dr. Corpu as you are right now, because you know what? I, I earned this degree just like you did. And so, you know, if we start thinking about, I wish my, I wish my dad, I wish my dad realized the gratitude that I had for that sacrifice and the tremendous impact that he had on me, but also on the world being Dr. Corporal opened so many doors for me that I have been able to impact so many people. And this show is a Testament to that sacrifice in the seventies that shows up in 2022. So I'll I'll shut up my question for you is, is how did you get to this, this question? I wish my dad, how did that come about?
1: Yeah, one. Thank you for that story, man. I love hearing stories from brothers okay. who had amazing relationships with their fathers, um, and and the context we live in in this country and the narratives that are shaped about black men and and black families. Uh, to hear amazing stories like that is revolutionary in and mm-hmm. of itself, um, because it's a narrative that stands against what we typically hear. Um, but the way I got here, man, was my relationship with my dad was the complete opposite of yours. Um, mm-hmm. We didn't have a relationship. Uh, he wasn't there for my childhood. I was a single parent home, but <clears throat> off and on, uh, we met each other when I was 15. I lived with him for two years before going in the military. Um, and most recently um, we connected. And like I said, it was off and on uh, because there was a lot of baggage that I was carrying that I don't even think he was aware of. And my dad is a two-time Vietnam vet, You know, served oh, wow. two tours, um, not very talkative and emotional. Um, but I went to visit him three years ago, and it went really well. I got to learn about his side of the family, my grandparents and great-grandmother on his side, and a little bit more of his story. When I got back home, I was just laying in bed reflecting on how well that vet- visit went, and... Just thinking, wow! I wish when I was young, you know, we rode bikes together. My dad liked to ride a bike to work at times. You know, he worked out, and I wish we had played sports together. You know, he wasn't really a sports guy, but those are things that I enjoyed that I would have liked to have done with him. And in that moment of reflection, um, I just paused and thought, I bet there are men all over the world with these "I wish my dad" moments. And so I just started taking notes, you know, I'm one of those people, I have a pen and notepad on the side of the bed uh, with the hopes that when a, a, a thought comes, I'll write it down so I can remember it and get to work. I just started writing down the names of men that I knew that one, I was curious about their story, or I had a sense they had a compelling story to tell and um, started there and put together the list talked to a donor that I knew to help me fund getting, you know, the guys to my house for them to fly in for the interviews at my home. Wow! They said yes. um, And I conducted 17 interviews in about a month and a half. Um, But I will say this one last thing, what I've come to realize, most recently I was with Dr. Joy DeGruy at her home. She's the author of post-traumatic slave syndrome. And we were just talking and I had this moment, you know, and I said to her, you know, I think I write the books that I write um, as an invitation to other people to join me on this journey of healing, um, mm-hmm. because a journey of healing can be lonely at times. Yeah. And so in my writing, it's like, hey, if if this is you, um, you know, join me on this journey and that way I won't have to be alone. So as an author, my writing uh is an invitation to other people uh, to let's build a community so that we're not alone in this world as we heal.
0: Right, mm, I love that, and this community is made up of, of a diverse, very like you said, uh, our stories are different, but they're it brings us together to hear and to talk. Right, yeah. you know, because I'm sure that if we if if we if we continue to answer the questions, right? Because it's it's not just one answer. It's not just one answer. You know, I you know, I I, I could answer this question. I wish my dad had been a better husband, right? You know, so you, you begin to have these communities of conversation, right? That we don't talk about. And oftentimes, you know, the 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 tea is the the tea, we keep the tea inside. We keep yeah. you know what I'm saying? Yeah, we keep the tea inside, right? And that, that tea begins to build up, as you said, like revolutionaries hear this his revolution was to be a version of himself that right that looks like and acts like and comports himself in a world that is without his trauma you can't get that trauma out right right if you're not in community with folks that are willing to listen allow you to be vulnerable and allow you to sit in your power yeah right yeah that's the thing and and that's what this book does that's what this book does go ahead brother
1: yeah you know you mentioned that um You know, a better husband, man, you should you got to check out the just the titles of each chapter give you a lens into what these brothers are talking about. You know, I'll throw out a couple. Uh, Chapter one is I wish my dad didn't silence my voice. But then we have a chapter where I wish my dad loved himself more. I wish my dad was faithful to our home. I wish my dad took responsibility for his mistakes. Um, I wish my dad didn't assert his masculinity. Mm. Um, you know, I wish my dad put uh, relationships before finances. Um, and in each one of these chapters, uh, the men are unpacking the stories of their childhood and uh, separating two things. Um, two, I start out each conversation uh, in the book, where I ask the guys, um, "So tell me, what kind of man was your, you know, was mm-hmm. your dad?" And they tell me, you know, they they have this aura about their dads, this pride about the kind of man he was. Um, but then when I pivot and say, "So what kind of father was he?" Mm-hmm. There's this pause and shift in demeanor, um, as if the person they just described as a man was not the same person as a father. And they share stories about what life was like in their home as it relates to three key points that I asked them to talk about. When I think about love, I wish my dad. Mm. When, I, when I think about affection, I wish my dad. And when I think about quality time or time, I wish my dad. And these brothers pour out um in a very courageous way some very vulnerable moments where they needed to hear I love you where they mm-hmm. moments and stories where they needed a hug to feel their dad's strength and affection mm-hmm. um and time where time mm-hmm. spent in ways that showed the the dad was willing to enter into the child's world rather mm-hmm. than the dad doing things with the child that made the dad comfortable right um, oftentimes, people are engaged in relationship, but it's through the lens of what they're comfortable with. And sometimes entering into the child's world means you're going to have to do some things you don't like or things you're uncomfortable with, but it shows that you value what they care about and you love them enough to sit aside yourself to enter their world and Mm -hmm. show appreciation for it. Yeah.
0: No, it's, 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 it is very interesting in, in these themes, you know, um, that you talk about, and you talk about time, right? Time, affection, patience, love, right? You know those those, those interesting fathers giving up their life, right? Sometimes for their for their children, or and, and us wishing, right? I I could sit here and say, you know, my like I said, my father was 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 busy with the world sometimes, and I wish my dad had been to more of my sporting events, right? Because when he did come. I played better, right? I, mm-hmm. I, I I I played better. I was like, my dad is here. I get to perform. It was a performance because I, you know, that that love that you have for your father. Right. In those moments, right. My dad is here. I know how good I know how, like, I know how much of his time means. And I just would perform. I remember when I was running track, I, th- the first time I placed was the first time he came to attract me, oh, wow. you know, you know, as a seventh grader, I was like, Haddon class was struggling and I, and, and he ran track in college. And so I started running track because of him, started doing the long jump because he did the long jump. Yeah. Right. Seventh grader out in the yard jumping on grass all summer
1: long. (laughs) You know
0: what I'm saying? Yeah.
1: But he he showed up at that meet. Go ahead, brother. You're reminding me of uh, Kamasi's story in the book. His chapter title is, um, I Wish My Dad Gave As Much to Me as He Gave to the Movement. Um, Mm, Yeah. Kamasi tells a story of he played baseball and his dad came to one game. But that day, the coach was like, You played better than i've ever seen you play before. yes and mm-hmm. it's like, because my dad was here yes um, he you know his dad was a professor and mm-hmm. he would go to his dad's classes and sit in and answer questions and it was to get his dad's attention um and so uh yeah i thought about his story um as it relates to you know living into those things and showing up yeah. even more because uh, your dad is present, and we find that uh, in a number of these stories, uh, one guy, uh, he his dad, they live in Canada, and his dad was like professional pool player and professional bowler, like world championship type kind of guy, and he said. I knew where my dad was going when he left the house based on whether he was carrying his pool stick and cue, you know, his pool cue or his bowling ball. And I would grab, you know, my jacket and just walk behind him. So his dad wasn't taking him. He was just follow him to these places <laughs> and watch and admire uh, mm-hmm. his dad. And so he became an athlete. Um and, you know, wanted to excel at everything. He wanted to be excellent, not because of, you know, he should put forth his best and and be excellent and let that flow from himself. But he did it to get his dad's attention. Mm-hmm. So he was driven um, for, you know, the hope of one day my dad will see me. So I yes. must be great at everything I do, because maybe if I'm great, um, I'll be worthy enough to be seen. Yeah, you know,
0: I wish you know, like, I wish my dad had seen me, right? Because of the things that I the, the the trauma, it sounds like not being seen by his father caused some drama, and 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 to cope with that trauma was the 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 achievement levels. I've got to be great. My dad will see me right as this great achievement because I saw I saw him as this great thing. And and, and and regardless, many of us will see our fathers as here and we will try to ascend to that, right? We will try to ascend to that level of greatness. Oftentimes we may not match that level of greatness because we've created that in our mind. Yeah. But to be seen, right? I, I need my father to see me, yeah. you know, is, an, is a very, very interesting. And I think more more of our brothers, you know, have created levels of achievement based on this, this, this very narrative that you're talking about. So it is very, very interesting. Let me ask yeah. this question to you. Sure. How do, how do folks, and, and this is sisters and brothers as well, use this book as a means of overcoming trauma with their fathers?
1: Yeah. You know, I was going to say that, um, in each of the stories, and as much as people share some of their challenges, there's some really beautiful moments, some father-son moments. Um, and you can see the pivot in in their journeys as adults as they've began to deal with uh, their stories and what has shaped them and how each of these men shows up different for his own children, how they show up different in relationships. Uh, but I would say for readers, uh, men and women alike, uh, what this book does is it will give you permission um, to revisit, revisit your story, um, show some grace for yourself as you confront uh, pain points, and give you permission to not only look at those stories, but forgive yourself, learn to love yourself better, better and see, learn from these stories. Um, how you might be showing up in ways that are not serving your child well mm. or yourself, um, and find new ways of being. And the way you find new ways of being through this book, um, I I was smart enough one day when I, when I was writing it, I had a friend over, um, Kendra Frazier, and she's a therapist and master social worker, mm. and uh, we were just talking, and I stopped writing. And I said, hey, would you be willing to write the takeaways for each chapter? And she agreed. So every chapter uh, closes out with a, sa- a set of takeaways from a therapist's mm-hmm. perspective. So oh, I, love you, you I love that. I love that. Wisdom and insight from the stories of the men in it. And then you get the uh, insight from a professional therapist perspective on each chapter that you can learn from as well. You need
0: that. I love that. I love that. There's a part of this book. Brother, that really brings it. It really brings it home. Um, you and your son wrote this book together. Tell me about that experience, right? Your son writing and and the context that he was writing from, because I think that is also interesting. It is a wonderful mirror, right? Yeah. It's interesting to hear the stories of other men and their fathers. But when your son is talking about you in this book, it opens you up. Talk about that experience with him.
1: Yeah. So, um, it was, he, he did it. I did an introduction to the book and he did an intro to the book. So my intro talks about why I got here, what this book is about, um, me and my, my dad and I, and then my son's intro talks about it from a young man's perspective. Um, why he thinks the book is important, what it was like for us to have that conversation. We did our own, I wish my dad interviews. Um, and, uh, You know, I think he doesn't fully grasp, uh, you know, having his name on the cover of a book and a (laughs) photo of us, um, how big a deal that is. He doesn't understand that less than 3% of published authors are African-American and let alone have their picture on the cover and both their names, right? It's a big deal. But, you know, my son, you know, he's a young brother and he's going to law school next year at Howard. Uh, Morehouse. Wow. Brad, Congratulations. Congratulations, brother. Morehouse in May. I will go to Howard for law school. I think um, he's looking at some other schools, too. But it was it was a gift. Um, I think it became uh, the starting point for us to cultivate a new relationship. There's still a lot of healing for us mm-hmm. to do because I wasn't there. Um, I his mom and I got divorced when my son was about five and I was in and out my, because of my ideas of success, um, mm. and money and, and access that I was driven by those things. And I given myself this counterfeit narrative that, um, I'm doing all of this for them when actually I was doing all of it because of my trauma and my need to mm. be and valued and respected. Um, you know, and, uh, So I wasn't fully present. So uh, we did interviews just like I interviewed the guys. I think it was after the third interview of talking to one of the brothers here in my office that I just felt like I have to do this with my son um, because he has an I wish my dad's story too. Yeah, Yeah. And it's going to be tough. So it was probably end of January and he's asked me what I wanted for my birthday. And I said, I want to interview you for this book about me. And he paused and he said, um, Are you sure you want that? And I said, Look, I know it's not going to be easy, but we need to do this. And that's what I want for my birthday. And so he was still on, on campus at Morehouse. He came over. Um, I interviewed him about me. Um, and, you know, he told the story. I remember one moment at, early on in the interview, he was he would say something like, well, you know, when things happened and I would say, things like what? And he said, well, you know, stuff. And I paused him, I said, Jordan, look. I said, you don't have to protect me from myself. Yeah. I know who I was and I know I wasn't a good man. It's okay. And after that, you know, it was all gas, no brakes. Um, <laughs> he was like, wait. What did I ask for? He said what he needed to say. Some of it was very hard to hear, but even as, even though it was hard, it was still true. It was just hard to hear my son tell me the impact of my bad choices and not being present had on him and, you know, how much he wanted me there and then went from wanting me there to being angry with me and to, Wanting to show me that he didn't need me and telling me that he had father figures, those things hurt. Um, right, they right. were true. I wasn't there, and thank God for people who stood in my absence because I wasn't, I wasn't capable or wasn't aware enough to understand how important my present was, my presence was, and in essence, I had did to I did to him what my dad did to me. Yeah. Um but the pivot, the revolution is in this. Um, a friend of mine, Matthew Williams has this saying. He says if you can pass down trauma, then you can also pass down healing. Yes. And by sitting with my son and creating the space for him to share his truth, his experiences of not having me there, his experiences, his "I wish my dad" moments, as they relate to love, affection, and time. The revolution is in confronting the ghost, the secrets, and now yes. we don't have to carry them. And he can be free to become the man that he's meant to be in the world, without the baggage of of the trauma, and not, you know, like you said earlier, carrying it. Um, mm-hmm. He's he doesn't have to carry it anymore. And it's like when we're together. There are no ghosts in the room. There are no secrets, no silence around things that we aren't willing to talk about because we've talked about it. And I think that that was the first conversation. I'm sure we'll need to have more. Um, We're not super close. Um, We do talk and, you know, we'll get together from time to time. But I've learned that the journey of healing, even as I look at it with my own dad, is um, it's at his pace, not mine. Yeah, Um, yeah. um, I, I love him the way he needs love, uh, to look like from me. Um, and when he's, you know, when he wants to talk, we talk, um, but he's on his journey and finding his way. He does go to therapy and I'm really proud of him for that, for that, you know, at 21 choosing to go to therapy, um, yeah. I think is a beautiful thing. And, uh, he's just a solid young brother. I think I learned more about what it means to be a man from him than mm-hmm. he ever learned from me. Right.
0: It is this bi-directional relationship that we have with fa- fathers and sons and, and, and daughters and fathers that we, uh, as well. You know, I think that uh, my father and I, you know, particularly during the, the, the last 25 years of my life, um, have been this bi-directional growth relationship. You know, we, we had our time, you know, it was interesting. Like I said, I was a daddy's boy, but then we, I can't say that we, we got estranged or that we went astray. He was dad. You know, and I was son and he wanted to make sure that he he knew that I knew that he was dad. And so we would and I was him, you know, uh, and so we would we would butt heads on most everything. Uh, if he wanted to go west, I wanted to go east. Right. <laughs> and I realized it's interesting that you, you talk to the story that Ramal that I remember when our, our relationship changed, like particularly in the latter stages of college, when he always wanted to pack my bags in the car or right, when I was leaving. And I'm like, I got this. I can pack my bags. And then I realized, it was like, why am I, why am I fighting him packing a bag? And <laughs> <laughs> it was his way. And and, and what I realized, it, it was just his way of showing love to me. Like I'm, I'm still wanting to take care of my son. Like I'm packing your car. cars. Like, yeah. okay, go right ahead. And I remember that was one of the the watershed moments of our relationship where it just changed. Like, go ahead, love on me, right? Yeah. I was too young. Yeah, you know, you know, you got the, you got the old bull and the young bull, and oh, oh right. Let okay, old bull, do your thing. And I remember I I moved back home after college. And I I moved back home for five years until I bought my first house, right? And I remember still it was still a little tense early, like, okay, you back in my house. Right. And and remember, remember that the old bull still lives in here. Yeah, you're a young bull, but remember that. And then he was so happy that i you know that i was an omega right and I, re- I remember as i tell a little story you know so happy of us singing the omega hymn together me crossing yeah. and uh, us being omega men together and i think yeah. that was one of the, another watershed moment in our relationship but i think for you know like you said we we, we went through these times and, and i'm more i'm more how do i want to say honest about who he was as a man not just as a father, but the totality of who, who he was in the last 25 years of our relationship has been like, we were really, really tight. We had a friendship. Like I could, I want to talk to my dad. Like I'll call my mom. Where's my dad? I want to talk to my dad. <laughs> you know, I just, I, w- I want to laugh. And, and you know, I, I didn't say this at his funeral. And I'm using some of this as a part to, to, to chronicle some of the things. Like I would call my dad or mom and say, what's going on, dad? He was like, same old, same old white folks lead. Right, every every time. Ramon, it it stayed the same, right? It stayed the same. You know, but but to to go back to you and your son and to think about like you're going to go through those periods of up and down. Yeah. Yeah. And we figured out. And basically basically what I'm saying to you is that my father and I figured out at some point how to just love on each other in the ways that we needed. And in the end, Ramal, I, like I just wanted, like for my love towards him, I just wanted to be with him. I wanted, like, he was in the hospital. I just wanted to lay in the bed with him. I just wanted to smell him because my father, right? He would wore, he wore Aramis cologne for the longest time, which is <laughs> the worst smelling cologne ever, Ramal. But that was him, right? And so it, yeah. it, it probably was just permeating into. Like I just wanted, like, put your hands on, rub my head, Dad. Like I just because I knew the time was coming to an end, and I wanted to make sure that the warmth of him was still transferred into me. So I see to you is that the, the time will come for you all to have that period of time that you, love on each other in the ways that show fathers and son. It took us time, right? It, it it went from being a daddy's boy to, I don't want to be around you, right? To yeah. the old bull and the old bull. And to finally we were just sitting around the camp as two bulls. Like, I love you. I love you. Let's do this. And let's just try to, let's, let's travel, try to love on this mama bull who keeps trying to tell us to do everything we don't want to do. So right. all that, brother. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I appreciate that, um, man.
1: I love your stories. You have some beautiful uh, father's stories. You might want to consider writing a book too. I think you had a lot in you uh, to share as it relates to you and your dad, because it just sounds absolutely beautiful. And, you know, I... My son and I, you know, we're so much alike. Um, yes, yes. Sometimes when even talking to him, I'm like, I can't even talk to him because I'm talking to myself. <laughs> like exactly, I know exactly. What he's say, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, yeah, you know, yeah, And he knows that. He knows we're very much alike. Um, I think sometimes he's very proud of that, and sometimes that gets on his nerves too. Mm-hmm, um, yeah, because you know he's trying to find his own identity and all of those things. But he's an amazing young brother, and you know he's excited about the book. He's you know. And he says, you know, I really hope it helps people. My son just loves, you know, like me, you know, and I think he gets that from his mom too, um, doing good in the world and seeing people become their best selves. And so, um, you know, we're excited about this journey to see what this book's going to do and the people who will benefit from these stories. And I'm just really grateful uh, for the men uh, who were courageous enough to tell their stories. I think readers um, will love seeing... The vulnerability from men and um, telling these stories—you, you, you know—you will cry, you will laugh, mm-hmm. and then you'll be excited about getting up and doing things differently and showing yes. up um, and being more present uh, to the people you care about um, after you read this book. Yeah. I look
0: forward to brother revolutionaries. Go out, uh, go out Amazon. Uh, I I wish, I wish my dad, right. I I wish my dad stories of conversations uh, about fathers and sons, right. With this three time author, this, this brother, man, brother, please go out and revolutionaries go out and support this book and go out and support this brother, you know, and all the great things that he's done, right. He's seeded in so much into us today and thinking about this, right. Not only your relationship with your father's, But, right, go and ask yourself, right, what does a version of you look like without your trauma? Like, oh, shit, like, damn. Like, what does that look like? Like, right, right, look in the mirror. What does it look like for you to show up without your trauma? Like, like, I want to go home because I got so so much that I need to, I I would love to just show up in the world free, like, freedom. We talk about this so much on this show, Ramal, freedom. Right, that's freedom. And I want you to do that. So, revolutionaries go. Two things that he is seeding in this, Right. What does it look like to be free of your trauma and to interact with the world right and go go right go really think about your relationship with your father and say that if you have not say the things if you have not done the things that you need to do with your father go do them unearth whatever it needs to happen because you never know. i miss my dad every second right and i can't i don't get that time back i want i want him to just show up and say hey uh, it was a mistake but that's not gonna happen like, don't wish I had more time. You don't want that statement to be, I wish my dad and I had more time. Yeah. Don't make that. So go out, get this book. Amazon is going to be a bestseller, right? Go out and get this book, right? And make sure that you understand who Ramal Toon is. Revolution, as you know, that I love you. I'm here with you. We are here with you. And we always want to make sure that you're asking and answering what we think is the most thought-provoking question of your life. What's a revolution? I love you. I love you. I love you. We'll see you soon. Take care, care, everybody. Take care. Take care. Take care. Take care. care, 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 care. What's your revolution, brother? What's your revolution? revolution? Um, I've got a good friend, man. Uh, All my boys are 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 married and doing their thing, so they can't get up and go like I like to. And so I got a good friend. We started traveling the world probably 2000. 17 So we've been in a number of places Southeast Asia
1: Europe where Down to the Caribbean uh, Bali and Thailand Okay, I've been to Thailand I haven't been to Bali yet I've been to Thailand, I've been to India I've been to Cuba uh, Brazil, Medellin mm. and Cartagena Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Colombia, love Colombia yeah. I Love Colombia uh, Love Medellin Yeah, yeah. oh man, uh,
0: we were in Medellin in December.
1: Yeah, beautiful city. Um, Mm -hmm. Loud. Loud, yeah. (laughs) And uh, Cartagena, Cartagena's nice too, though. Nice little beach town. Mm -hmm. Summer. But um, yeah, man, I just got back from Ghana a week ago.
0: Oh wow! Uh, there's a irony in that. I Just had a conversation with a, a, a white sister, man. Uh, interesting, because you know you can tell your, you can tell your, tell stories about folks until you really have a conversation with them. And she's an attorney here, divorce attorney. Kind of keeps to herself. And she heard me say I was going to the Dominican um, in November. She was like, "Oh, I, you know, I, I'm about to go." And we just started rapping she was like yeah i've been to africa and she started naming all the countries in africa that she had been to and i was like well she was like she's like the funniest story that i have she was like i was i was going from uh, i was going to mozambique from somewhere and she was like there was a ton of white people on this plane and she was like what is this she's like this plane has no diversity and i was like oh okay well that's a different story that i had you know so, so we had a great conversation about our travels in africa and different places around the world but interesting you know it's like obviously you you need to make sure that you're not telling stories about folks you know uh, in your mind because you know that's how bias and stuff plays out yeah, having right. conversations with, having conversations with folks is,
1: is the best way to learn about who people are absolutely exploring building connections that's how you really get to know people right without the assumptions and generalizations right yeah
0: yeah um yeah it's interesting because you know i think mm-hmm. i think for me i i started exploring I was like where am i getting these stories from because for me being encapsulated in this, you know, in our in, in this tribal warfare with white folks, um, you know, and you, it, it, I, I think it's an armor you put up like, you know, you're racist until you're not.